Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I am a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode with Janan Sung. I am so excited to have her here to share, I, I think wisdom will probably be the most appropriate word, um, through her role as a holistic healer, um, caring, caring and wearing many hats, such as a nutritionist, certified breathwork instructor, a Reiki practitioner, a wellness and spiritual life coach, and she is also a mother. She helps women improve their self-esteem, create healthy boundaries, and step into their power through breathwork, Reiki, and shadow work. Janan, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to share my, I guess, wisdom per se. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get started, I want to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and Massachusetts people. Um, I share land acknowledgement before every episode. It's really important for me to recognize the land that I'm on. Um, There is so much wisdom that was born on the land that we're on. And um, part of my journey in being a, becoming a better human is to get in better touch with that and to recognize that the answers are not always in fancy packages and in this modern world that we're living in. I love that. That just giving back to the land and just honoring where you are. It's just such a beautiful practice. Yeah, definitely. So this season is about unlearning. I'd love to get your take on what that means to you and um, maybe something you might be unlearning, unlearning in the process right now. Yeah, to me, unlearning is basically getting back to basics. Um, When we come to this world, people tell us who we are, what we are, what we need to know, but it's not necessarily the truth, not our truth. So getting back to who you are in your essence is a part of unlearning for me. And that's been my life's goal is like, who am I? And I'm getting better at it. It's just, especially as a mom, there's a lot of unlearning to do, especially from my family. And yeah, I think it's a beautiful process. It's a challenging process at times because it gets you down deep into your darkest areas and you start to understand that whatever you experience or the thoughts that you have about yourself are not necessarily who you are but the beliefs of other people that you just absorbed as you've been growing up. So it takes a lot of work and understanding of who you are as a person and a lot of strength. So I think that unlearning is huge, but I think it's a very important process for all of us to go through. Mm. I love that you frame it as these thoughts that I have about myself are the beliefs of others that others have about me. So how do you get to the point where you understand who you are then? Like what, when do those thoughts end up shifting and how do they shift? 
So I think it's through the healing process. I think that connecting to your inner child and doing some inner child work really gets down to the nitty gritty of understanding of whose beliefs you're carrying. Because as children, they absorb everything that you tell them. And so they act like sponges. And when you connect to your inner child, you could tell them like, is this your belief or is it what people told you is to be true? And that's when you start to understand that it's not you. It's really not you. So getting to your inner child is like a big, big, big step. But also as the adult self, understanding that these labels and thoughts that you carry around may not only be set upon you by your family members, but what society tells you is acceptable. So as you peel back and you dive deep, I think shadow work is a great way to understand this meaning going into those dark spaces and understanding that, yeah, to be a certain way gives gets you love from the outside, but it's not necessarily what you need and it's not who you are. So rediscovering who you are through doing things that you always wanted to do, but you're always too afraid of trying because you are afraid that others might judge you is a good step to unlearning the things other people have told you and rediscovering who you are in essence. Can you share something like, um, share examples of like what it is that, you know, things that people have always wanted to do that would help them get back to the truth of who they are? Yeah, I always always use myself as an example. Um, For a very, very long time, I always wanted to work with people as on a spiritual level, and I was always too afraid to do so. Um, Growing up from immigrant family, my mom always had this expectation of me to be a doctor or a lawyer or some type of like high achieving person. And when I went to school for communication, she was like, no, what what in the world you're doing? And I did get my degree in communication because I did to appease my mother and even my nutrition degree to some, to some extent, was to appease others trying to figure out, you know, what makes everybody else happy and it'll boost my own self-confidence. But inside of me, it's like, this is not what I want to do. What do I want to do? And so I actually talked to my inner child. And I'm like, what do you want to do? Like, what brings you joy? And it was just like connecting to people on a spiritual level. Now, I know that's very, very broad. So I had had to take for me to understand what that meant personally, but just doing what everything that makes me happy. So dyeing my hair blonde made me happy, even though everybody's like, well, what are you doing? You're disrespecting your roots because you're not, you're not naturally a blonde. I'm like, I don't care. It's what I want to do. This makes me feel happy. And just doing small things, just baking, just to bake or doing things that is pretty unexpected. And not having that shame or worry that somebody is not going to accept me for the person that I am. Hmm. How has this changed or shifted after becoming a mom? (laughs) Oh, man, becoming a mother has been a huge change. And I think that has been the precipice of all this because I was trying to be the complete opposite of my own mother. Um, my, mom, my mother wasn't really emotional, emotionally available, and she really focused on work. So to me, I want to be super mom. 
I want to be that stay at home mom that did everything for her child, got her everything that she needed or wanted. And it came to be to one point where I was like, this does not make me happy. Like, I, I really don't want to be a stay at home mom. And I grappled with that thought for so long because I felt ashamed that I didn't want to be a stay at home mom. What would everybody else think of me? How will my child feel <laughs> that I'm not going to always be mommy? And I decided to do something that makes me happy. And in turn, it will support her because I won't be grumpy mommy. I won't be resentful mommy. I'll be happy mommy that has time to spend with her, but also has time for myself to take care of myself. Because I think a lot of times when it comes to being a mom, we're told, pour everything into your child and forget about yourself. And I'm like, no, it does not make sense. It's all about balance. I have to pour inside myself to be stable enough to pour into her. So people like looked at me funny after a while, like, what are you doing? You're working again? I'm like, yeah, because it brings me joy. So what? I got a nanny. So what? It's okay because it brings me happiness and clarity into who I am. And I think that's what really set me off to rediscover who I am. Because for a while I was lost because I was trying to do everything in order to be loved or be accepted. And I was dying inside. I'll be honest. I was really not happy. Hmm. You said something really interesting. You were trying to be the opposite of your mother. Mm-hmm. I think that that is such a, I think that it's, it's a trend in that people do it. I don't know how much awareness there is in it. And I see kind of the, the generations pendulating, right, from one extreme to the other, to the next, to the next, and it just keeps on going. And I think that I'm, you know, I'm meeting a lot of moms who are kind of like, oh, I'm actually settling somewhere in the middle right? And um, growing that self-awareness. And like, what are your thoughts on on that pendulation and what's happening around that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that my mom was definitely one extreme. You know, she, for her own reasons, she had to step into her own survival mode because my father left. And what do you do? You have to provide for your kids. So she decided to work. But I think for her, she was already emotionally unavailable and having to work, and she sees that her child is pretty independent, so, you know, it's okay, she's good, but to me, it felt like, you don't care about me, right, so when I got pregnant, I got really scared, and I was like, am I going to turn into my mother, because we have a lot of similarities, she's my mom, she took care of me, so of course, she's in my DNA, so, but I was afraid that through epigenetics, that they will trigger something in me, and I'll be that person that doesn't really want to take care of my kid that's that's not the right way i'm saying it not emotionally available for my child so i decided to tap into that extreme super mommy and i had all these plans i had all these plans of things i was going to do i was going to quit my job i was going to bring her to the park i was going to do bouncy castles everything possible but i think it's funny that the universe has its own way of showing you like it's not going to work because a month after I gave birth, the pandemic hit. And so I was stuck in this house with a whole pandemic and I couldn't do 
anything that I wanted. And I was there so confused, but I still went to the extreme where I didn't let my daughter watch TV. So I was like watching her play or just watching her do roll over all day because that's what good mommies did. And I did as much as I could because that's what good mommies did. And it came to a point where I realized that what was happening, I was trying to be the mother that I didn't have for myself. And when that clicked, I'm like, I'm not happy. And I'm the point is, I wanted this for my own inner child. And I'm just projecting my own feelings onto my child. I know she knows I love her. I tell her every day. I shower her with kisses. And I make sure that it's something that's spoken, not just known. But I'm trying to find that special, juicy middle ground where I'm able to be independent because I'm an independent person, but also juggle having a little one because she is dependent upon me. And do I have it all figured out? No, she's only two years old. I'm a new, quote unquote, new mom. But I'm finding that space where I don't want to be in the extremes. The extremes are making me tired. They're making me antsy. They're making me angry and making me resentful as a mom. Like I was like, if this has, if this is what motherhood is, I don't want to be a mom. And I know it's because what I was projecting, my idea of motherhood, which really was really extreme. So just finding that good spot for yourself, I think is key. Just finding that balance. I think that's such an important observation that mothers, like once mothers come to that conclusion, if they're projecting, I think that these observations are just so important to make because so much of us, so many of us are thrown into the parenting. I mean, like you're, you're, you started parenting in a pandemic, so that's like a whole nother degree of it. We get thrown into it and we almost just kind of ride the wave. We don't even think about it, right? We're just going with it and it's like surviving. When you're talking about like, um, observing and like seeing what it is that your child needs versus yourself, how do you get to that point of like making the observation? Like what can we do for ourselves to help mentally get into that spot? I would say carving some time out for yourself. And I know mom's like, I don't know. I can't do that. I, I don't have time. Yeah, you have time. If you could be on social media for like five to 10, 20 minutes a day, those five to 10, 20 minutes a day could be time for yourself to do some introspection. And I like to meditate. That's how I connect with my inner child. But I think there are myriad of ways to reconnect to yourself and ask you, ask yourself the hard questions like, am I truly happy in this moment? Or what do I need versus what does my child need? And when you ask yourself, what do I actually need to find balance or find happiness? That's where you start getting the answers. And I think it's just understanding that your childhood has definitely impacted you and how you mold your own child. And it's not saying that it's set and you can never change, but you have to be more cognizant and aware of your own self and your own behaviors and your own beliefs and what you're projecting to your child. So I think that if you start looking inwards and seeing like what's going, what's really going on here? Is it 
because my child needs this or is it because I need it myself? And I think that's when it clicked for me because I was like, my husband's actually the one who came to me. He's like, you know, you buy too many toys. I think you're trying to buy it for yourself and not for our daughter. (laughs) And I was like, oh, I got a little bit irritated, but those trigger, that trigger is what made me go inside within myself. And I was like, he's right. She doesn't need all this. She has too many toys. And I talked to my inner child. It's like, I'm trying to get her everything that I never received. So when that clicked, I was like, okay, no more buying toys for a while. She doesn't need it. But maybe buy myself a toy because my dream toy was a Barbie dream house. I still haven't gotten it yet, but that's the plan whenever I I remember. But just giving yourself all the things that you never had is one way to like really start healing that inner child and giving back to yourself. Can that actually work? I mean, I mean, I, I do similar things, but as you're talking, I'm like, well, is it different? Like as a child, I would never have gotten my own Barbie dream house, right? Someone would have given it to me. So does that have the same effect that if I bought it for myself, it would have been the same experience as if, you know, my mom or my, my aunt or my whoever, someone else giving it to me? I think so. The reason why I say that is because your inner child, yes, they are a part of you, but you two are two different aspects. You're the adult self. So when you start doing your inner child healing, you tell your inner child, you know, I know mom and dad weren't there to protect you or weren't there for you, but I am here for you. I will protect you. I will get you the things that you never had. So when you have that, you see there's like a, not a disconnection per se, but there's like that more of the reparenting aspect. So you become the, their parent. You become your own parent. So when you get yourself the toys, the adult self gets it, but the inner child's the one that really enjoys it. Mm, yeah, I like that. I found that when I became a mom, well, before I was a mom, I kind of joked about how I would pretend that I didn't speak English and I would make all my kids, you know, you come from an immigrant family, um, so you might understand, but like, like my mom doesn't really know much English. And so I had to do a lot of the translating and stuff like that. And I joked with my husband. I was like, I'm not going to like, I'm going to pretend I don't know English. And I, and I realized, I mean, obviously I didn't do that. Um, but a, a couple of years into being a mom, when I was thinking about those thoughts, I realized what I was trying to do was I wasn't pendulating the other way. Like you were, I was trying to stay on this one end, right? And just perpetuate these traumas and these cycles um, onto my kids, which is, I think, another way of how we cope with with those traumas as kids. You, um, when you talk about your work, and when we talked about it before, you talked about, like, the um, idea of um, acceptance yeah. and and contrasting that with forgiveness could you dive into that a little bit yeah so to me I don't like to forgive people why is that it's because to me forgiveness kind of puts you on a pedestal like I'm better than you so I look down upon you and I forgive you but to me moving to a place of acceptance means that you accept the situation that happened to you not necessarily what happened or their behaviors, meaning 
But when you accept the situation, that's how you're able to let it go. Because people say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. But how many times do you have to forgive to actually let it go? Right? But when you accept, like, okay, all these bad things has happened in my life. And I've come to a point where I'm like, yeah, all these bad things have happened for me to learn more on this planet. But I'm not holding on to it anymore. It's part of my story. It's part of my success story. And I can just use it as fuel to help others who have similar backgrounds. But when I say I forgive, I'm like, I don't think you really forgive. To me, when people say I forgive you, I'm like, from what? I didn't, you know, does that make sense? Like, why do you forgive instead of accepting? Like, when I told my therapist that I forgave my mom, but I was still holding on to so much anger because I never moved to a place of acceptance where I was able to release that. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgive her. She did what she did. Mm. But I was like, but the situation, I was still mad. So once I moved to a place of acceptance, I was like, you know, I'll be honest. She wasn't the greatest mom. Like she did a lot of messed up things. I understand why because of her own upbringing, but there's lessons to be learned in those traumatic events that have molded me into the person I am and they're going to shape me into the person that I'm becoming. And I accept that, but I don't accept the behaviors, but it is what it is. Hmm. I, yeah. When you're talking, I think of like you're describing like forgiveness is um, it's almost like you're, you're separating the act from the person and like acceptance is like this integration of like, oh, I, I understand that like that's who you are and, and I may be butchering this, but like that's how I, I'm, I'm like interpreting it. It's like, I under, like I'm accepting that that's who you are and I, and, and I accept that what happened happened and I accept like all, there's so many layers to it, right? It's not just like, yes. oh, I forgive you. Like I relinquish your, your guilt or whatever it is right. that you're holding on to, but like acceptance is more that this is for me. I, right. Cause it, you, that, that memory of whatever hurt you will never leave you. Right. So it's like, how do you bring that into your body and like have it be part of you and cohabitate, right. Without having it harm you. Exactly. That's exactly it. And when you were talking, I pictured forgiveness as in, I grew up somewhat in the church, somewhat as like the priest saying, oh, I forgive your sins on the, on behalf of God. That's how I feel about forgiveness. But I'm like, but you're, but you don't, you, you really don't. And what can, can I just accept what I did or what happened and then just move on with my life? It's part of my story and let's move on. It's okay, but it takes work to move into acceptance. You can't go like from one moment. Yeah, all my my life was ish. And the next day, but it's okay. I accept it. You have to go through the motion, really feel the emotions, really like deep dive into it to understand it, to see the wisdom in it. And once you see the wisdom, that's when you can move into the place of acceptance. Mm it makes me think of like what we just talked about with like reparenting and kind of taking in all that, what happened with us as kids and to, there's a difference between forgiving your parents and accepting and, and there's like a different energy to them. Yeah, exactly. 
you when you talk about the work that you're doing with women, one of the things you you mention is um, like the how you're helping women set healthy boundaries and boundaries. I mean, I have it like right in front of me. There's a word, I have a few different words um, on this board in front of me and boundaries is one of them. Um, and I, it's one of those things where I can't like really describe because those were, it was never like really taught to me that that's a boundary. And, and I, I read a couple of different books on it and like, I can see that I'm like, I'm passing some of that on to my kids, like the lack of like physical boundaries or lack of whatever. How do you, can you describe or define boundaries as you see it and like how you help your clients create those healthy boundaries? To me, I see boundaries as walls. Walls that if you set them up, people can't transgress them because they're there to protect you to make you feel safe. And when people have poor boundaries, that means like those walls have holes in them where if somebody comes and says, I want you to do this, even if inside of your soul, you don't want to, but because you want to feel accepted or loved or you have, or you have this expectation that if you don't do what they want you to do, they won't accept you. So when you have these walls, and you set them up for yourself, it's like, regardless of what the other person might think, I'm going to protect myself from them trying to break through these walls because I'm my own personal, I'm my own person and I deserve to be protected. I don't know if that makes sense. But to me, when setting boundaries, it's more like learning how to say no, because we, we're not top boundaries. We're not top boundaries. In my culture, you have to kiss people on the cheek, you know, make sure you always say hi to them. And as a kid, I never wanted to do it, especially with the creepy one, creepy old men. I was like, ew, I don't want to do this. But your parents tell you, they give you the look first and they're like, Janan, do it. And so that sets the precedence for the rest of your life. If somebody of authority tells you you have to do something, you're going to do it because or else you're going to feel some type of way inside. And to me, that feeling was anxiety. If I didn't do something that I was expected of me, I would get very anxious and have no boundaries. And even just oversharing with people, that's lack of emotional boundaries. Not everybody needs to know your entire life. That's for you. If they ask you, then yeah, you share some, but you have to respect other people's boundaries. But the thing about boundaries is you have to tell somebody that these are my boundaries. This is what I accept before you, they, before you could expect them to respect those boundaries. Meaning if somebody crosses your boundary and you don't say anything about it, then you end up angry. How are they supposed to know? You never verbalize anything. But when you tell them, okay, I don't like when you do that. Can you stop it, please? And they continue to do it. That's when you have to enforce that boundary by saying, listen, if you continue to do this, uh, X is going to happen. But it's up to you to enforce that boundary. And if they continue to do it and you keep on accepting it, at the end of the day, that's on you because you didn't have the voice to speak up for yourself. And I know a lot of times I'm the I've been the same way, so I'm not judging anybody on this, but you have to 
you have to speak up for yourself. And that's one thing, especially my culture, you don't do. You really don't do because you have to respect your elders. You have to respect authority. You have to respect this. But how about respecting yourself? And I think that's the key that we always miss. Because when you don't have boundaries, at the end of the day, you're not respecting yourself because you're putting somebody else above your own needs. As a mom now, how do you hold, like, how do you model that? So that was one of the big things my husband and I talked about when I was pregnant because we, we both lacked boundaries. And we told ourselves, if our daughter does not want to hug somebody, we're going to tell them she doesn't want to hug you, but she says hello. And my father-in-law, he's Chinese, and he was like, but that's part of your culture. How dare you do that? And I was like, bah, this is our child. And she's not going to grow up with lack of boundaries. If you don't like it, cool, whatever, keep that to yourself. But it's, we're the parents, we're the adults, we're here to protect her. And the only time we said we're not going to respect her boundaries is if, it, is if her life is in danger. Meaning if she's doing something really stupid and she's like, no, ma, don't touch me. I'm like, I don't care what you're saying right now. I'm going to touch you to protect you. But just allowing her to set the rules, so to speak. We're, we do have rules in our house. We're not saying we, we just let our kid do whatever she wants. But kids n- know more than we think. And they also do re- deserve respect. And when we don't respect them, that's when they lack boundaries. So I'm giving my child this respect that she's allowed to tell me no, and I don't get angry with her. And it's allowing her to tell me no. That's one thing I was never able to do, tell people no. Well, I'm switching that. If you don't want to do something, let's find something else for you to do, or it's okay to say no. I might get a little bit upset as a mom, but that's on me because that's, that's my trigger. If somebody tells me no, I get triggered. So that's on me. Mm. I think that that's, um, it's, it's such a, like taking how we want to parent our kids and like also like turning it into reparenting is, is such a cool exercise when I think about it. When you're talking about your work and, you know, you mentioned shadow work before. Can you describe what that is and like how you go about that? Yeah. So the shadow is the aspect of ourself that holds all of our dirty laundry, so to speak. And we tend not to like our shadow because who wants to face their darkest self? And when you do shadow work, it could be done several ways. You could go to therapy for shadow work. You could do like shadow work journal prompts. You could go to a shadow work specialist and they actually help you to go dive deep into the pits of your soul and deal with everything that you don't like about yourself and to bring it up and have you face it face to face and deal with it. But the thing about shadow work is it never brings up things that you're not ready to face. 
So it's a process. You can't go to like a one shadow work retreat and you, you dealt with your shadow. It's a process. You know, I actually did a shadow work retreat back in October and it was a beautiful, amazing experience. It was three days of me crying, <laughs> snot nose crying uh, out in Sedona on my birthday. But on the last day, I felt like I was a different person. And even when the one of the facilitators, she was like, you know, when you first came, there is such tightness around you. And look at you now, you feel so light and more inviting. And I'm like, yeah, because there was so much in me that I did not like or I didn't want to face that y'all just threw in my face to deal with. And it was such a beautiful experience. And the thing about shadow work is you do it, let's say if you do a shadow work retreat, that energy perpetuates for weeks and weeks and weeks. So things in your life are going to change. Things are going to be brought up into your psyche that you're like, oh man, I thought I had dealt with that. But that's the perfect time to actually work on it. And then what happens is you release it. Once you face it, you don't have to think about it. It just starts getting released on its own. So I really love shadow work. And I think shadow work and inner child work go hand in hand together because we have different aspects to ourselves. And if you work only on the child, what about your darkest, darkest self? You need to bring that to the light as well. All right. So I have to ask, like, can you share an example? And again, it doesn't have to be personal, but um, like, how would, like, can you walk us through like what that would look like? Like, what, what is an example of like a really dark secret? And then how does someone actually facilitate that? Or how would you facilitate that? So I'll speak about the shadow work retreat because I don't care about being personal. Um, the first day, his name is um, Spiritual Dr. Afi. And what he did was he made us bring a picture of ourselves as an infant, right? And we had to talk to this infant, saying words that we've never heard growing up. And I was like, oh, snap, oh, snap, oh, snap. So speaking to your child self and just looking at yourself as a baby, and you would think, oh, it's as easy. It's not a big deal. That whole room was crying. And the thing with him, he's also, um, he's a spiritualist. So he works with the Orishas. Um, I don't know if you know about the Orishas, but they're like deities in West African tradition, and they speak through him. So he would speak people's truths. <laughs> And a lot of times it was directed towards me. And I was like, oh, oh, arrow to the heart, arrow to the heart. But it got me thinking. And I was like, I really do believe these things about myself. But are they true? And when you really think about it, everything's all about your belief systems. And all the beliefs that I had, I realized they're not mine. There are things that are told to me as a child or as an adult. And I just believed it because so many people were saying it. I'm like, well, if they're all saying it, it must be true. But then I made that realization, that's not true. But it just took a lot of work because it's always going to have resistance. You're, you're going to have resistance because it feels scary, you know, seeing your truth, 
so when I do shadow work, I kind of do something similar because I am intuitive. So I, I tell you about yourself, but it's always gentle, always caring, but the feelings that come up, that's all you and whatever you allow yourself to feel when it comes to all of this, you have to be open to it because if you have resistance to it, it's not going to work. You have to come with this with an open mind and open heart to truly dive deep. So it's not easy facing your own truth. It's not because you don't think it's easy. But if you allow yourself to think, you know, this is not so bad, it'll, it'll, come, it'll come easily and easier and easier and easier until you come to a place where you're an enlightened being and you don't have any of these beliefs anymore. When you're like a thousand years old. <laughs> exactly. You talked about how you don't, you don't like encounter or face anything you're not really ready for. At the same time, you also are saying you have to be open to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and how does one know when they're yeah. ready and open? So to clarify what, what I was saying is that on a soul level, your soul knows when you're ready to face it. Your mind may not realize it, but your soul is like, okay, it's time for you to deal with this. So let's say if you're having these reoccurring dreams of a trauma that's happened in your life, that you had to repress for a long time, that's an indicator that it may be time to work on that, to observe it, to see what's going on there. So I'm not speaking about the mind. The mind tries to control control your environment, control everything because it wants to keep you safe. And in some aspects, people um, coordinate the mind to the ego. So it's just trying to keep you safe and protect you. So it doesn't want you to dive deep in the darkest spaces, but your soul and your heart are like, okay, come on, let's get this done. It's time for you to evolve. It's time for you to heal. So you could go on to the next thing in your life. So that's when you know you're ready. And if you really want to be open to something, if you're curious about something, but you're still a little hesitant, but you're still curious or something is drawing yourself to, let's say, inner child work that you think is interesting, I would say follow that interest and see where it leads you. I talk about curiosity all the time and how that, that's like one of my things. I follow my inspirations and curiosities um, because it, I feel like I mean, so many people talk about it. It's actually not, you know, it's not original, right? Um, so much is not original. But when you're talking about that, like, that, like, kind of following um, the, that little thing that piques your interest, it's, I think, so much easier for people to identify than something that they actually want. Like, I have a really hard time saying, I want X, Y, and Z, but I am, it's really easy for me to say, Oh, that like, mm, that makes me go light up a little bit and I want to know more. Um, can you share sometimes like some things that you've like been curious about and what maybe the, the most recent thing and where that has led you? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good, good question. So right in this moment, I'm very curious about sound baths and learning about sound baths. I'm a very auditory person. And I like to listen to music 
And I was listening to lots of solfeggio um, frequencies. There's, you know, because it makes me feel good. But something in me is like, explore more about sounds. So I'm looking into buying a crystal bowl and just playing around with it. I haven't done it yet because things are expensive. <laughs> They're very expensive. But I'm very curious about that. But I know that Reiki is one thing that I do. And it was always coming up. I would see things about Reiki and I always felt interesting about energy healing. I never really experienced it prior. I mean, I always heard about it, but I was like, what is that? So finally, one day it was coming strong. The curiosity, it was like, I was envisioning these things and I was hearing people talking about it. And I was like, you know what, whatever, let me just dive deep into here and see what's all about. The next week, I got certified for Reiki 1. And I was like, this thing is amazing. And so I continued to do it, and I got certified for Reiki 2. And the next thing you know, I'm like, you know, let me just do, do some Reiki healings. And I practiced on my husband, I practiced on myself, on some of my friends, and it just became a thing. So I think um, following your passion, your curiosities, it's what's, it's what's really important in life. And a lot of people who are asking, what's my purpose? Well, I always ask them, what are you curious about? What are your passions? Because that's your purpose right there. Just follow it. It might change eventually, and that's okay because it served its purpose, but just follow it and see where it leads you. Mm. I have a similar Reiki story in, um, in that I, I, I completed my holistic health certification, and then I, was, I heard about energy healing, and, and I, don't, I don't think I had to con to any. Like I had never experienced it before, but I'm like, I really want to know more about this. So I like, I think I, I came across, you know, like the site meetup where yes. like, mm-hmm. yeah. So this was like back in the day, like 10 years ago. Right. Um, and I got an email that was like Reiki training and I'm like, Oh, what's that? And then I clicked through and then I clicked through and then I like sign up <laughs> and that was it. You know, it's just funny how that it all kind of aligns, you know, when you're open to it and like really when the curiosity is like, is like hitting you at the right time and and perhaps it's always hitting at the right time it's just your mind that's exactly. telling you whether like you know it's filtering it and and that's um i think it happens more often than not for a lot yeah, of people unfortunately definitely um now we talked about shadow work breath work is something that i'm i'm curious about the i actually just started doing a little bit this year on a whim, like my friend, it, another thing, like my friend was like, oh, I've been doing this breathwork thing. And then I was like, oh, what is it? And he sent me the YouTube video. And then I started doing it like before work every day. And I don't know the first thing. I mean, I know like very, very little about breathwork. Um, so I'd love for you to dive into that and enlighten me. Yeah. So I came to breathwork because of my mom. She sent me these videos and I was like, oh, what's she doing? But I started doing the videos and I was like, this makes me feel so good. And I started doing kundalini yoga, which does a lot of breath work. So breath work pretty much means you manipulate your breath. And when you do that, you do that through like holding your breath or breathing a certain type of way. So when you practice breath work on a scientific mode, it, it triggers your parasympathetic nerve, means it triggers your relaxation mode in your body. And it allows you to feel more and bring more oxygen into your into your cells, um, expands your red blood cells, all the good stuff. And so 
what happens on a more emotional level, because you are such a relaxed state, you are better able to tap into your feelings and into your emotions and into your subconscious mind. And things might actually come up for you. Again, things that you're prepared to face. And when that happens, you start releasing. Either you release through your breath, or I've had people literally cry because they're doing breath work because it's so powerful and impactful. And if you want to go on a more woo-woo spiritual side, it actually helps to like cleanse out your aura and brings more life energy. So it's like through Kundalini energy, all this good stuff. But it's just such a beautiful practice. And the breath work that I do is pranayama, which is more of the yoga, yogic type of breath work. There's so many different kinds and there's stuff called like rebirthing. So they put you like underwater with like a little tube and they play like the heartbeat that you heard in your mother's womb. And it's supposed to like help you like get back into that space where you're still like a fetus. And because a lot of trauma that you, you experience in utero still affects you now. So helping you to release that trauma that you experienced when you were in your utero. There's like so many types of breathworks practices. Now I'll let you know that rebirthing is illegal in many states um, because a young girl practiced it when she was eight years old and she passed away from it. So they recommend that you have to at least be 18 to practice. It's very, very powerful and impactful but to to those who don't have like any heart conditions like serious heart conditions or like serious lung conditions it's a very powerful practice and when I say that it could change your life it can really change your life it's just that amazing Are are you saying that from personal experience yeah personal experience um when I do breath work things that come to me or things that I get released, I'm like, I didn't even know it was there, but okay, let's work on it. And it just feels good. It just feels good. All that energy or the tingles or the physical sensations, it just feels good and just brings me to a relaxed state. But it also helps me to like see myself for who I am. That makes sense. Outside of my mind, outside of what people tell me, just bring me to this space like a little safe cocoon and I get to deal with my traumas and my issues in like a perfect calm state when I share things like that with people part of me is like I get very empathetic and I think like okay what if it what if the thoughts are like fake like what if they're not real what if like these memories that I have I'm like totally making them up and I actually they've actually never existed before like do you ever think things like that like is this like even valid or is it just the fact that they exist make them valid I don't think you make things up I think that we're told that we make things up in our head because even with our imagination let's use children for example and Children are very sensitive to energies, to spirits, to everything. And let's say, mom, I saw a monster under my bed. And we're like, oh, no, no, baby, that's just your imagination. Well, did you ever think that maybe they're actually seeing something under their bed? But by you telling them it's just their imagination, it makes them feel like they're just making things up in their head. So as we get older, we're like, oh, 
we're making things up. We're making things up. But I think there's more to it. Things that we may not understand or want to believe is true. So we just tell ourselves we're making it up. But I don't think you are. And I know in therapy and psychology, there's a belief that you, you can, you know, make things up in your mind and all that good stuff. But I think certain memories can be diluted or misconstrued or whatnot. But this is your reality. We all have our own reality. So things that you may not see it or understand in the way that actually happened is completely normal because we live in our own reality. And it's true to us, so it makes it true. Mm. And yeah, and when you're saying that, it's like maybe part of the healing is just believing yourself. Yeah. Hmm. I love that. Um, how do you find time to do all this stuff? Like, oh girl. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, I struggled very for a very, very long time to do all of this. Um again, the whole being super mommy, but also being a black woman, we're always told that we can do anything. You have to be the best of the best of the best of the best. So I've always juggled a lot in my life. And after I had my daughter, I kind of like tapped out. I stopped meditating. I stopped doing anything for myself because my whole focus was for her. But I also had a mental breakdown. I'm not going to lie. I had postpartum my life was in shambles. And then finally, I went to therapy and the therapist like, why don't you carve out time for yourself? And I felt such guilt. I'm like, time for me? But I have a husband to take care of. I have a daughter to take care of. Why? And it's because I didn't feel that I was worthy enough for that time. So after going to therapy, I told my husband, like, listen, you have to do a little bit more because I need more support. I need more support. And so we decided on a plan that I get at least 30 to 60 minutes a day by myself. And as an introvert, that's time for me to recharge my <laughs> energy. So I'm like, this is perfect. And you know, sometimes some days life gets chaotic and I'm not able to do everything, but that's okay. Cause I'm not trying to live so, such a stringent life that if I don't check off all the boxes, I failed. It's more like, yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. If I don't do it tomorrow, I'll do it the next day. But at least if I give myself some time to myself. So in the mornings, I will do yoga with my daughter crawling on me. And I'm like, eh. It used to bother me at first, but now I'm like, she'll leave it after five minutes because she gets bored. Or after she goes to bed, I'm like, babe, I know this is our time, but... I don't want to deal with you right now. <laughs> I need to take care of myself. So I just, I just find flexibility. And again, that's why I got my nanny to give myself more flexibility and time to do things for myself because you have to find yourself to be the priority in life. And I know with work, kids, relationships, and all of that, it's kind of hard or challenging. But if you find yourself to be worthy enough to have that tiny bit of time because 30 to 60 minutes in a day that's really nothing but it does so much for you so just trying to carve it out and social media does eat up a lot of my time (laughs) so trying to take a little break 
like, eh, you know, they don't need to have me reply back to the messages right away. I'll just take my time on this and focus on what I need. The concept of time is a funny thing, right? Like how we feel like I'm, I'm just, I just started listening to this book. Um, oh gosh, what is it called? It's like Unleashing the Soul of Money. Hmm. And they talked about how we live in this, like, this cycle of like scarcity. Like we wake up thinking, oh, I didn't get enough sleep. And then you go through the day like, oh, I don't have enough time to do this. Or I, I need to do this, but I don't, you know, I can't do this. I don't have enough money for this or whatever. And you go through this whole day of like all these scarcity thoughts. And then you go to sleep and you're like, oh, I, I didn't get all, all the things I wanted to get done. And when I listened to that yesterday, I was like, oh, that did that. Mm, that like hurts a little bit right it's like it rings a little too true yeah um this idea of scarcity right and i think for moms it's and in women in our culture i mean um the the feeling of lack is like it it partly drives us and then partly like holds us back it's just this weird relationship what do you think oh that hit home <laughs> The lack of sleep isn't a big thing in my household right now. So I'm like, oh, that hurts. And I and I do agree with that. I think that as women, I don't think we're ever taught that we're enough. So that turns into like scarcity. We're never good enough for somebody or for something. And so that kind of gets ingrained into our mind that we have to do more in, in order to be valued but then we're not enough to do that more and when you don't when you're not able to reach whatever level you want to do in a certain amount of time you get really hard on yourself and i mean if you really think about it time is an illusion i know people are like mind blown that ethiopia is a few years back and nepal like several years forward like because time does not really exist but you have just to understand that not checking everything off on your list is okay. And we're, we're taught that you have to get done everything done by a certain deadline and do all this stuff. But I think it's all about trying to find that balance. And something that we're not taught is to find balance within our lives altogether. And I am not a master of this. So <laughs> I'm not just here like, oh, I'm a guru. I've got everything figured out. I don't. Because I do wake up like, shoot, I didn't sleep enough tonight. Oh, shoot, I don't have enough time to do this. I didn't post three times. Oh, my God, what's wrong with me? But then this morning, I actually woke up, and I was about to post. I'm like, I don't have enough content. So scarcity right there. But I was like, but why is that important? Why is that important? Is it because somebody told me this was important to do? But is it truly innately important? And do I want to waste my time in my mind trying to figure out how to get more when I may just have enough for this period of time right now? And yeah, I think that understanding that what we have in this moment, what we did in this moment is just enough. And not to sound too like woo-woo out here, but this lack of sleep for me, for example, there is something to learn from this. And it's probably the exact amount of sleep that I needed, but I don't think it's enough. 
I don't know, this is just me just <laughs> going off cuff right now. But I think that if everything's perfect in this world and everything we're supposed to be here at the exact time, and it's just us projecting this idea of scarcity, then even if you're tired, maybe there's a reason why we are tired. Maybe the amount of sleep that I got was just enough and that I'm just craving more. I don't know. It's just, that's a tough one to answer, to be honest. I just think there's a lot to unpack. And I think that it comes back to what you really need and finding balance in your life. Mm-hmm. Do you think that things are like perfect as they are? Like, I mean, it's easy to say like, oh, this conversation was meant to happen and, it, and it's perfect. But then when you think about things that have happened in the past, things that are happening currently that are, that are awful, right? How do your truths line up to that? So I think that everything is perfect as it was because everything was supposed to happen in that manner. I didn't say it was supposed to feel good, but it was supposed to happen. We all make choices in this life and the choices that we make always result in a certain reaction. And sometimes things happen that feel like crap. Like if you experience any sexual trauma, I'm not saying that was okay, but there's a deeper lesson to be learned, right? And everything is perfect. Everything is perfect in this life, even though it may not feel perfect or feel good because certain events are meant to happen in this way or something greater to happen or to be understood. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's this whole thing about being in a positive state and people have understood this as being, oh, I always have to be thinking positive thoughts, being great. Everything's perfect. If everything feels nice. No, being in a positive state simply means that everything is happening just the way it is supposed to happen, but it may not feel good. It may not be what you prefer to happen, but it's supposed to happen in a certain sequence. And that's the thing that we can forget about. It's just, there's a reason for everything and we may not understand it and it may not feel good and it's okay. It doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a hard one. And it's a hard one. It, um, I think that not to be like, Oh, I'm so enlightened. Right. I think that I was able to come to terms with the, like with what happened to me as a child and come to those thoughts of like, oh, that was all meant to happen to get me to this place in time. I think when you're in it, though, and you're still, when, when those experiences still have impacted you in a way that like are unresolved, it definitely does not feel, you know, it, it's not, um, doesn't feel good. And does it feel perfect or aligned or meant to be or whatever it, words um, you want to use? Because perfect may not be the right word, right? Like it. If that's from like a almost like a, a universal higher energy kind of um, depiction of it. Yeah, I mean the thing is, I believe, or more that I know, that our soul chose every major 
life event for its evolution. So when we come down and we're born, we forget everything on purpose because what's the point? If we remember everything, we don't just know lessons to be learned. And trust me, sometimes I am like, why the heck did I have to go through this? Come on, can we learn this lesson a different way? But uh, apparently not. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's tough pill to swallow. And I think I've just come to terms with it. And I still fight. I'm, I'm human. I still fight. And I'm like, this is, doesn't feel good. I don't like this. Why am I going through this? And then I have the reminder, like, you, you kind of chose this path, you know, and you'll get out of it. And when you get out of it, and like you were saying, you resolve it, then you realize you can look back hindsight, you're like, oh, okay. I learned something from this experience. It didn't feel good. It's not what I preferred, but it helped me to be who I am and who I'm coming into being. Makes me think of earlier on our conversation, like when that level of acceptance happens, then we can kind of be like, oh, okay, now I can see how how that has played a role into exactly. what I am. Mm. Exactly. As we are nearing the end of this conversation, I wanted to see if you had any kind of like parting words or thoughts that are coming to you that you'd like to share with listener. Well, this whole talk, it seems like a whole lot about acceptance and, and healing. And the thing is, there's nothing to rush. Take your time through this process. You're on earth to have the experiences to go through the healing process so you don't have to hurry it because if you hurry it there'll be other lessons to be learned right this this whole lifetime is not like a race where i'm gonna get enlightened by the time i'm 30 years old because i healed all my trauma that doesn't happen but the more you go through these experiences the more you move into acceptance more things are going to come up for you that you thought were dealt with. And at first it's okay to feel angry or disappointed that, you know, they're not resolved, but I want you to try to look at it in a positive way saying, okay, well, they're not resolved and that's okay. Cause I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And how about let's try to resolve this, but just take your time and enjoy the process. <laughs> even the tears, even the anger, all of it. Cause at the end of the day, it's a beautiful process and it hurts. It could suck at times, but I guarantee you, the more you move on this journey, the easier it'll get and the more beautiful you'll see it. Mm, something to look forward to. Janan, thank you for being on here. I, I do value this time we had together in kind of allowing me to ask you these questions. I've I kind of pondered myself and haven't had too many counterparts to them. So I appreciate that. Um, can you share with the listener like where they can find you and connect with you? Yeah, definitely. You can find me on Instagram at moonlotus.co. I even have TikTok <laughs> at moonlotusco. Or if you want to connect directly, just go on my website at moonlotusco.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in today. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.